In in Ephesians chapter 1, Pastor Paul, as I've said, unpacks the gospel. He unpacks in chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, all that the Christian has in Christ. In your union with Christ, do you know what you possess? You possess every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. In the heavenly places. Because you're united by faith and the spirit to Christ. All that is his is yours. And the, the, the natural question would be, what are these spiritual blessings that Paul talks about? Well, in verses 4 through 14, Paul tells us what our spiritual blessings are. He gives us some of them at least. Verse 4, he tells us, that we have been chosen. Do you know that you're, you being chosen is a spiritual blessing? In verse 4, he tells us we've been chosen before the foundation of the earth to be holy and blameless. Another spiritual blessing. You are in God's sight because you're united to Christ, holy and blameless. Verse 5, another spiritual blessing is you have been predestined. In fact, he goes on and says, you want to know more? You're adopted. Adopted. That's a spiritual blessing you have in Christ. You're a son of God. He goes on and says, we've redemption. We've been lavished with grace. We've been indwelt with this Holy Spirit. And honestly, in one way, as we read the opening section of chapter 1, the prayer is, Lord, help me to take it in. All of this is mine in Christ. But yet, here's the reality. As Christians living in 2022, here in London or wherever we're from, it's a struggle to remember what we have in Christ. I don't know if you suffer from that same illness I suffer from. Spiritual amnesia. I constantly forget what is mine in Christ. Elon Musk has been on the the news for the last week. You might be a fan. He's just bought Twitter for 44 billion pounds. Billion dollars rather. And uh, is this a great act for the cause of freedom of speech, or are we all should we all just debunk and come off Twitter? Well, interestingly, Elon Musk today is is not just the founder of, of Tesla and his multiple other ventures. He's now entering into the world of social media. There was an equivalent to Elon Musk. At the beginning of the 20th century, an American by the name of William Hearst. William Hearst was the uh, man who founded the way that newspapers are published. And as a result, he became a multi-millionaire. He was like, if you like, Elon Musk, or maybe more, to be more exact, like someone like Rupert Murdoch. And he, and he became so wealthy, he had mansions in New York and L.A. and all throughout the world, that one of his favorite pastimes was buying up things, and his pastime was to buy 
really rare and valuable pieces of art, antiques. One time he was in his uh, living room and he was reading one of uh, his magazines, Antique Collectors magazines, and spoke about a really rare painting. And everybody who was somebody wanted this piece of art. And so Mr. Hirsch quickly picked up his phone, phoned his agent and said, listen, I'll give you all the money it takes, all the time it takes, but you're going to travel the world and you're going to find this piece of art. I want it in my collection. And so offset his agent on this mission, looking for this painting. I should just say, Mr. Hirsch had so many antiques, he filled his mansions, he had to build storehouses on his ground. He had vases from China, paintings from Europe, 14th, 15th, 16th century. He had ivory from Africa, grandfather clocks from England. In fact, you can go to Glasgow and there's a museum there because a Scot plundered him when he ended up being bankrupt and it's in the Borough Museum in Glasgow. Many of his possessions. Well, days turned into weeks. Weeks turned into months, and then finally, Mr. Hearst got the, the knock at his door he was waiting for. His agent was there, grinning. And Mr. Hearst said, did you manage to get this piece of art that I'm looking for? He said, sir, I did. And Mr. Hearst said, so where was it? He said, so you're never going to believe this. I've taken up a whole lot of your time. I've spent a whole lot of your money traveling the world looking for this piece of art, when all along it was in one of your storehouses. That true story is a modern parable of what we are like as Christians. Because we fail to take the time to appreciate what we already possess, to enjoy what we have, we can be like Mr. Hirsch. We store away our treasured possessions in some store cupboard. Maybe the store cupboard of our minds and hearts. And we forget what is ours. So many people, myself included, can spend days, weeks, months looking here, there and everywhere for what I already have in Christ. Now, Paul's a wise pastor, and Paul, writing to these young churches in Ephesus, knew what to pray for people who struggle from the ailment that is spiritual amnesia. And so if you look down at verses 16, he says, I cease to give thanks for you, remembering in you in my prayers. Pastors pray always for their people. What does he pray? That the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. He prays that God would give the spirit who would fill the hearts and minds of the Christians with knowledge of Jesus. One particular does he pray for? That the eyes of their hearts, the eyes of their faith, would be opened, enlightened. To know what? Well, he prays three things. That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious grace, glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power 
towards us who believe. Let me put it like this. Paul prays three things. He prays that the young Ephesian Christians would know. The eyes of their hearts would be wide open to know. Their hope, their riches, their power. And so we're going to tonight walk through these three things. Brothers and sisters, in 2022, if we're going to live fruitful, faithful lives, we need to know what is ours in Christ. First thing he prays for is that the eyes of their hearts would be wide open to see the hope they have in the gospel. So let me ask you the question. Do the eyes of your hearts see the hope you have in Christ? Or have you taken this treasured possession and stored it away and forgotten that it's yours? Let me ask it like this. Do you live as a person of hope? Do you have a deep-seated confidence, unshakable confidence in Christ? Question, what is biblical hope? Well, one theologian defines it as this. Biblical hope is a confident expectation of a guaranteed result. A confident expectation of a guaranteed result. Because God says what he means and he means what he says. God has said, if you believe in Christ, you will receive eternal life. God said it. God meant it. It is ours. We have hope that death is not the end. We have hope that we will spend, because of the atoning death of Christ, the rest of our lives with God. Glory. Future hope. Interestingly, it's rooted in our past work. It's death and his resurrection. But as we read in our call to worship, it should impact our present lives. Because the Bible calls it living hope. Do you know the hope we have in the gospel should impact us in the here and now? One of the ways to, to help us have a clear definition is often to define something by what it's not. Hope in the Bible is not wishful thinking. I hope Scotland win the World Cup. That's wishful thinking. I hope there will be a day where I dwell in the presence of Christ forevermore. That's a confident expectation of what is a guaranteed result. Let me illustrate it two ways. When I was 18, I worked in a chemist. I worked in a chemist in a village near where I grew up. And in the chemist, there was boots of the chemist. Across the road, there was a, an old folks' home, a nursing home. And in that old folks' home was my late grandfather. He was a retired minister. And uh, on my lunch breaks, I had an hour, I, I would go over and try and spend it with him. Now, you've all been in a nursing home, haven't you, an old folks' home? You know when you walk in, there's that lounge where all the old people are always seated in, and it's always like sweltering hot, they've got the heating always turned up, and they're always, all the old buddies are always sitting there in the lounge playing dominoes or watching the telly, and many of them fast asleep. Well, that's the scene I would often enter on my lunch break. It's often the case my grandfather would be sitting next to all these old ladies, and he would be in the middle fast asleep. And so I'd pull up a chair, and I'd have to talk to the old ladies for a little while. And it was always such a fascinating conversation, because they just loved 
to tell me their life stories. So they'd say, oh, you work in the chemist across the road, I can see in your uniform. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, when I was a little girl, that chemist used to be a flower shop. And you know the school down the road? When I was there, the head teacher was Mr. So-and-so, and he used to give me the, the bell. And then they would tell me about leaving school and the job they got. They'd tell me about the, their time in the war, if they were alive at that point. They'd tell me about who they married, how many kids they had. You know, I've got five kids. They're all scattered throughout the world. They'd tell me, you know, you work in the chemist. I keep you in business. <laughs> I'm on more medication than anybody. There's always a striking thing in, in, in my conversation with these old ladies is that as their stories grew closer and closer to the present, there would be this deep, sad, hopelessness. You know, Andy, I've been in here for five years. My family don't come and see me. I long to see them, but they're too busy. I've got everything going, that's every ailment, every sickness. I can barely remember anything. I spend all my days sitting here. And you know, when you're a young Christian, you, you feel it. And you just wish, God, I wish, please give me the words. I wish I could say something that would be significant. I wish I could share the hope of the gospel with them. And often what would happen is that the, 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 the carers in the nursing home would see that I've sat there for like 30 minutes and I've spent the whole time speaking to an old lady, but not my grandfather. And so they would come over and say, listen, we'll wake up your grandfather and you can go through his room and you can spend 10 minutes with him. And my grandfather, when he was in this nursing home, was very near the end. And they would wheel him through to his room, we'd sit down and I'd have 10 minutes with him. And I'm telling you, every single time I was in my grandfather's presence, he had this big old Bible in his lap. He would tell me, barely lifting his heads, but with a smile in his eyes, Andy, I cannot wait to see Jesus. Andy, I cannot wait to be in glory. That's a picture of biblical hope. That is a confident expectation of a guaranteed result. You know, uh, a couple of weeks ago we were celebrating Easter. On my social media account, Ukrainian gospel churches filled it. Churches in Ukraine, pastors and congregation who had chosen to remain standing in the midst of a country that has been bombed, bullets are flying, people are fleeing, and they're singing... Songs like, in Christ alone, my hope is found. No guilt in life, no fear in death. That is a picture of hope. And so here's the question. Do you know the hope to which you've been called? Does your eyes see the hope that you have in the gospel? Biblical hope. There's a hope that will not put us to shame. Have you ever put your hope in a person? And they've let you down. Father, mother, 
husband, wife, friend, colleague, boss, pastor? I'm sure you have. And I'm sure they have let you down. You ever put your hope in circumstances, hoping that if everything could just work out for the best and the circumstances have not turned out for the best? Sure you have. Here's the thing. If we put our hope in Christ, he will never, ever let us down. And so here's my question. Do the eyes of the heart see the hope to which you have been called? Do you live as a person of hope? Have you taken this blessing, this treasure you possess in your union with Christ and have you stored it away? Because Paul prays, I pray that these young Christians, they would have the eyes of their hearts wide open to the hope that is theirs in Christ. Second thing Paul prays for young, these Christians in Ephesus, these young churches, he prays that the eyes of their hearts would be wide open to the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, when you're reading this prayer, just notice how Paul there's words upon words. The riches of his glorious inheritance. You know, it's interesting about Paul's prayer. He does not pray something he's not already referenced back in the opening section. He's praying, God, I pray that these young Christians would see what is theirs in Christ that I've already mentioned. And one of the things that Paul has mentioned is that we are Lavished with God's grace. Lavished with the riches of God's love. Let me ask you this question. Do the eyes of your heart see the, the riches that you have in Christ? Like, let me ask you like this. Do you know that you're rich? You're rich. Do you know that? 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 9. He who was rich became poor so that through his poverty you and I might become rich. We're rich in God's love, in God's grace. He's lavished us with grace upon grace, with wisdom and understanding. What an army the church of Jesus Christ would be if we we actually appreciated what is ours in Christ. We're rich in the love of God. That means that we can love the least the last, the lost. That means we've got the resources to love the unlovable, whether it's in our family, whether it's in our workplaces, whether it's in the church, whether it's in our community, in our city, in our world. We've been given in Christ the resources to live a faithful and fruitful life. We are rich with God's grace. God's grace, God's undeserved love, God's undeserved favor. My, my, my New Testament professor used to say that God's grace is tailor-made for our needs. God's apportioned us in Christ perfect, perfectly the grace which we need to live. But notice he's, he's not just chatting about the riches of his grace because he goes on and says the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Do you know that you have a glorious inheritance? That's one of the blessings that we have. Paul referenced it. It's back in verse 14. We've got the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Do you know what your inheritance is? Do you know what you're set to inherit as a believer in Christ? Like, get this. God. 
God is our inheritance. Christ's inheritance is us. We are heirs with Christ. He's our inheritance. He becomes ours forevermore. I will be your God. You will be my people. I was once in a plane and I was reading a magazine and it, it was a, it was a magazine that detailed it was the Queen's great grandson, Prince George, and it was telling the story of his future and it said in the story that because he'd been born into the royal family and because he's heir to the throne, he would be set to inherit. Honestly, if you take Buckingham Palace, Balmoral, Windsor Estate. These young kids are left uh, legacies and jewels from other royal families across the world. And, and they counted it all up. And it, honestly, it's worth millions upon millions. And I read that magazine and that plane. And this is the thought that crossed my mind. Why in the world was I not born into that family? <laughs> and then I remembered... We have an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. Balmoral, Buckingham Palace, Windsor Castle, they're all going to corrode. All the money, all the jewels in the world, you cannot take them to glory with you. We have an inheritance that is kept in heaven for us, shielded by God's power. Let me put it like this. You and I, who are in Christ... We are written into the will of God, signed, sealed, delivered by the shed blood of Christ. You're a trophy of his grace. You're his treasured possession and he wants you to know that he is yours. He wants your eyes to be wide open to the, to the riches that you have in him. To your glorious inheritance. And just so you know, he's given you a deposit. His Holy Spirit. You know, you've got God with you right now. He lives and resides within you. So let me ask the question again. Are the eyes of your heart wide open to the riches of his glorious inheritance? What would, we be like, what would we be like as a church if we had our eyes wide open to this treasured possession? We'd quit living like we're poor. We'd start living as we are, rich. And seeing you're rich, you sometimes can have an air of confidence. See, when you're Christ's coir, and you know that you're more than a conqueror. And you know that nothing can ever separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. You ought to live with a humble confidence as you live your life in the here and now. I don't mean arrogance. I don't mean hubris. I mean a humble confidence in what God has blessed us with. The riches of his love. It means that we can extend them and offer them to others and then finally look at what prays for he prays following on actually from speaking about the Holy Spirit verse 19 and the third thing he prays is that the eyes of our hearts would be wide open to what is his immeasurable 
the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. Now, he's doing it again. Like, I think hope and riches would be well and it would be enough. Paul says, no, 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 I pray that these Christians, the eyes of their hearts would see more. You would see what is the immeasurable greatness of God's power towards us who believe. Question, do the eyes of your heart see the power that you have in Christ? And here's the question, what is the power? The answer is the Holy Spirit. In fact, in in the doxology of chapter 3, that we often, we all know so well, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. What's the power? Power is the Holy Spirit. And notice if you go back to verse 19, he says, According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule, authority, power, dominion, and every name that is named. And this age and the age to come. Listen, the power that is at work within every believer who is united to Christ is the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. Now, there's theology that really stimulates my mind. But I just can't take it in. And this is one of the areas of theology I just can't take in. The same power that raised Christ from the dead resides in you and me. The third person of the Trinity dwells in every single one of his people. He's powerfully at work within you. You know, before you're a Christian, it's true. You're powerless. Powerless to change your life. Powerless to save yourself. It's true. Absolutely true. You're totally, utterly powerless. Salvation is from first to last the work of God. But don't ever take that truth and apply it to your Christian life. It ain't true. You're not powerless as a Christian. You know you're empowered. Do you know that we've been given the Holy Spirit to live the Christian life? To help us in the Christian life? How are we supposed to go about living for Christ in our own power and strength? Not a chance. But in complete and utter dependence upon God who is powerfully at work within us. And, you know, when you, you step back from your Christian life, you, you can something think, man, it, it kind of doesn't make sense because if God holds inside of me the same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, then why am I such a poor Christian? Why is it that every time Satan comes along, tempts me to sin, I just succumb? Why is it when there's an opportunity to share the gospel, my mouth can't seem to open and my tongue can't seem to speak? Why is it when when I'm presented with an opportunity to serve, to do something even small, that sometimes I just don't feel I've got the ability? Is it perhaps a problem in your life that you are not aware of who lives in you? That you don't realize that you are empowered with the Holy Spirit 
of God. Now, in this side of eternity, that doesn't mean we will ever live the perfect life. Far from it. But brothers and sisters in Christ, it would make a huge difference in your Christian life if you live with a conscious awareness that he who raised Christ from the dead lives inside of you. He helps us when temptation greets us to say no. He wants to give us the power to go the extra mile, the strength to do the will of God. In my last congregation in in Scotland, um, I used to get a sit with the old saints. A verse that often you would quote in funerals would be from Paul. Outwardly they're wasting away. Inwardly they're being renewed day by day. It's so fascinating. This isn't the case for every single old person who nears glory, but so many old people who near glory, you look at them like, and outwardly they're a shadow of what they once were. But then you hear them speak or you hear them pray or you hear them sing and it seems that there is this inner power. It's like they, 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 they're, they're helped by the Holy Spirit of God to say or remember the right thing at the right time. Let me try and bring all of this together. Two illustrations as we, we close this. Let's take all these threads. If our eyes are wide open to the hope we have, the riches we have, the power we have, what might that look like? Some of you know that I love history. And um, I love Scottish church history in particular. There's a story told of a, a wee boy, a wee lad, as we'd say in Scotland, um, who lived in, outside of Glasgow in a place called Renfrew. And in the late 19th century, he was out in a field. And you know who was also in the field was a free church field preacher. There was such a day we had field preachers. And he was preaching the gospel, and this wee lad called John heard the gospel and believed. Glorious. He grew up, he got married, and they had a little girl. And sadly, his wife died. And sadly, in a different kind of sadness, instead of becoming a free church preacher, he became a Baptist. <laughs> so, as a Baptist minister, he moved in, he was in a manse, he was in Glasgow, thriving church, and his reputation was known the world wide. And there's a large church in, in the US at the time called Moody Church, and they called him to come and preach as sole nominee become the pastor of their church. And so in 1912, John took his sister and his daughter, brought them down to the port where they purchased tickets for the maiden voyage on the Titanic. Remember the unsinkable ship? And you know the story probably better than I do. On the 15th of April, 1912, the Titanic struck the iceberg. When the alarm was raised, Pastor John Harper was heard saying, 
all Christian men, stand back. All women, children, and non-Christian men aboard those lifeboats. This ship is going down. But we, Christian men, are going up. You know what that is? That's a man whose eyes were wide open to the hope that he had in the gospel. He actually said at the same time to the orchestra upon the ship, start playing and start playing nearer my soul to thee. And, and it's recorded for many people who, who, who were rescued from the Titanic. That's what was playing as people were trying to get off the ship. A hymn of Christian hope. Will you... Well, the ship began to plunge into the icy cold freezing Atlantic water and John Harper managed to jump over the side wearing a life jacket and he grabbed a piece of debris. And there in the icy freezing cold water, literally preparing for his death because there were not enough lifeboats, he started preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ. I just want you to think about that for a moment. People are dying. People are screaming. It's pandemonium. And here he is preaching. How? Because the power of the Holy Spirit. Because his eyes were wide open to the riches of God's glorious inheritance that he knew he had to make known to those who needed to be saved. As he, as he was preaching the gospel, a man who jumped in with no life jacket managed to come back, rise to the surface, and Pastor John Harper grabbed him, pulled him to the debris, took off his life jacket, and put it on him. And in that sense, he saved this man's life. But he preached the gospel to this man. He said, have you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ? The man said, I never could believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. John Harper said, believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. That night, that man believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he was saved. That night, John Harper passed into glory. There was a reunion of all the survivors from the Titanic in Canada. And um, Pastor John Harper, the, the guy that had been rescued from him, got up and said, I'm the last contact of Pastor John Harper. He saved me twice. He gave me his life jacket. And I just want to say one thing on that. Here, here's an application. The ministry of deed is vitally important. Deeds of love and kindness is vitally important. He saved me in that sense. So, so, so us giving to, the, to, to, to those who are serving in Ukraine to care for the bodily needs, it, it's part of the work of our gospel work. It's part of our witness. But he was also committed to the ministry of the word because he preached the glorious gospel and this man was saved. The ministry of word and deed, they go hand in hand. And you ask yourself, how did he do it? Because Pastor Jopper, his eyes, the eyes of his hearts, wide open to the hope, the riches, the power. Now you might say, 
Okay, nice story. It's a hundred years ago. And so I'm on Twitter on Easter Sunday and I'm watching Ukrainian Christians on the day that we are gathering to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead going out of their churches as bullets and bombs are flying to rescue people who are stranded and starving. Ministry of work, ministry of deed. And I'm watching footage later on of them in church services proclaiming the glorious gospel. Right now, in 2022, we have brothers and sisters in Christ who know the hope, the riches, and the power. Oh, brothers and sisters, that we would too, here in London, for the sake of the gospel and for the glory of God, know that which is ours in Christ. Let's pray. God, we confess that we are just like Mr. Hurst who used to forget what he had, what he possessed because he failed to take the time to enjoy it and appreciate it. God, please would you help us not for, not to forget what we have, not to forget what we possess in our union with Christ. God, we confess that sometimes in a world that is hopeless and where we should be so hopeful, no one around us knows that we are filled with the gospel hope. <laughs> So, Lord, would you give us a deep, unshakable, open our eyes to the deep, unshakable confidence and hope that we have in Christ. Would, the, would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, help us always be ready to give a reason, an answer for the hope that is within us. God, when we're fe- feeling miserable and poor as Christians, would you remind us how loved we are, how you've lavished us with all wisdom and insight, with your grace. Would you remind us afresh that you've written us into your will and it's signed and sealed by the precious blood of the Lamb and our inheritance is your Son. And would you make us long for the day where we will be with him and we will be like him and we will be with you. And God, we pray too that as we go out from here this evening, that we would walk and live in the power of the Holy Spirit. God, make us very conscious of his presence within us. Help us to rely and to depend upon him. Empower us to live the Christian life, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.